Good afternoon, and welcome to Outer Cape News on WOMR. My name is Matthew Dunn. This is your update on what's happening on the Outer and Lower Cape, drawing on stories reported in the pages of the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. In this week's edition, Beth Dunn has a story about a Stellwagen Bank visitor center becoming closer to reality on McMillan Pier in Provincetown. And I've got a story about another dispute between a local town and the National Park Service. Weather Will is here, and he's got our exclusive WOMR weekend weather outlook. And Ira Wood has a matter of opinion about car talk. The planned Stellwagen Bank National Marine Sanctuary Visitor Center in Provincetown got a boost this week after the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, pledged $15 million towards its construction. The federal agency, which manages the underwater reserve that stretches from Cape Ann to Race Point, announced on Tuesday that it's investing money from the Inflation Reduction Act to build a state-of-the-art visitor center at the site. While it won't cover the entire estimated cost of the center, Stellwagen Bank National Marine Sanctuary Superintendent Peter DeCola said it's a welcome financial boost. DeCola said the sanctuary, the Center for Coastal Studies, and the town of Provincetown are working together to design, build, and operate the visitor center. Provincetown town manager Alex Morse said that with ecotourism playing such an important role in the local economy, the town is excited about the prospect of being the home of a visitor center dedicated to the marine sanctuary. The proposal for a sanctuary visitor center in Provincetown was first announced in August of 2016. A location off Ryder Street Extension next to McMillan Pier, incorporating part of the municipal parking lot there, was chosen as the site. A 2021 design project estimated the total cost of the center at $21 million. DeCola said he imagines the price has increased since then, but the $15 million from NOAA will still pay for a good part of the center. Next steps include doing more in-depth design and architectural work and figuring out how to close the financing gap. The sanctuary was designated in 1992 as part of the National Marine Sanctuary System. The visitor center will feature interactive exhibits on the natural history and cultural heritage of the region and the sanctuary area, as well as provide community meeting space. The visitor center will be made of flood-resistant materials and will be elevated well above minimum requirements, according to the press release. There will also be electric vehicle charging stations for cars parked underneath the building. A draft decision announced last week by the Massachusetts Department of Environmental Protection would prevent Holtec International from discharging industrial wastewater from the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station into Cape Cod Bay. The draft requires a 30-day public comment period before the State Environmental Protection Agency can finalize its decision. 
That decision would deny a permit modification the company sought to discharge up to 1.1 million gallons of wastewater containing radionuclides into the bay. The water comes from the fuel rod storage pool. The comment period is open through August 28th. The decision comes a little more than three months after Holtec filed for state and federal permits to authorize the wastewater discharge as part of the plant's decommissioning process. Environmental groups such as the Association to Preserve Cape Cod have argued that discharge of radioactive water into Cape Cod Bay, even if it is low levels of radioactive water, would pose an unacceptable threat to the bay's environment, human health, Cape Cod fishing industries, and the economies of Cape Cod Bay communities. Association Executive Director Andrew Gottlieb said Monday afternoon the state agency's determination is an important day for Cape Cod. Gottlieb said his organization argued that the company's proposal to release treated wastewater is not in keeping with the state's Ocean Sanctuaries Act. And in fact, the state environmental agency mentions that statute in its draft determination. The New England Regional Office of the Federal Environmental Protection Agency also received an application earlier this year from Holtec requesting authorization for the discharge of treated wastewater associated with decommissioning activities into Cape Cod Bay. The federal agency has not yet reached any determination regarding the application and will now need to determine the implications of the state's draft decision on its review of the federal permit modification request. Truro residents, employees, business owners, and workers with children four years old or younger have until the end of August to apply for child care tuition assistance. Families can receive up to $7,500 in financial assistance for each eligible child. This round of vouchers would fund care from September 1st through February of 2024. The second half of the year would be funded by applications that would be due in February. The child care voucher program, which had been in a pilot phase, became a part of the town's budget this spring. Town meeting voters approved the Proposition 2.5 override for a community sustainability package in April. The corresponding ballot question in May's election was the subject of an official recount and passed by a three-vote margin. Applications are available on the Truro Town website and are due by August 31st. Buildings on the former Cape Cod Sea Camp's Bayside property in Brewster will be open for residents to explore on Saturday from noon to 5 o'clock p.m. Visitors are invited to tour the administration building, health center, pavilion, some cabins, staff housing, and the arts center. In addition, the landscape architect and town staff will conduct workshops as part of a second public forum on the property's future. Attendees will have the chance to look at posters featuring potential layouts for both the bay and pondside properties. Residents are invited to leave feedback and mark which options they find most appealing. You can register online to attend one of Saturday's workshops on the Brewster Town website under the Sea Camps project page. 
After a few years off, the community is reviving the beloved tradition of holding a rally at the Hedge alongside the Cape Cod Sea Camps on Route 6A this Sunday morning to cheer on the Pan Mass Challenge riders on their way to Provincetown. The Pan Mass Challenge is held every year on the first weekend in August, with cyclists from all over the world riding first from Sturbridge or Wellesley to the Mass Maritime Campus in Bourne on Saturday, and then continuing on to Provincetown on Sunday. Riders raise money for the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute for cancer research and treatment. Since 1980, the Pan Mass Challenge has raised $900 million for Dana-Farber. Riders on Sunday's Born to Provincetown route are scheduled to leave the Cape Cod Canal between 5 and 6 a.m. The Bourne Bridge will be open to bikes only from 5 to 6.15 a.m. Police officers will be stationed along the route to guide traffic. There will be no road closures. Brewster lies at the 40-mile mark of Sunday's 78-mile route and is one of three water stops along the second-day stretch. Riders will follow Route 6A in Brewster to Nickerson State Park, at which point they'll access the Cape Cod Rail Trail to continue east into Orleans. The majority of PMC riders will be on the road from 6 to 10 a.m. The Hedge cheering contingent will be in full force at the sea camps from 6.45 to 9 a.m. You can learn more about the ride online at pmc.org. For Outer Cape News, this is Beth Dunn. It came as welcome news to six Cape Cod towns last week when the state announced more than $5.5 million in grants for seven dredge projects across the Cape. Chatham received $1 million for improvements at the Bridge Street waterfront and another $500,000 to dredge Stage Harbor. The harbor has experienced severe and recurrent shoaling over the last few years. Without dredging, boating would come to a standstill, according to Ted Keon, the Director of Coastal Resources in Chatham. Improvements at the Bridge Street waterfront will include a shellfish upwelling facility and ADA-accessible floats for public boating access. It's a similar situation at Allen Harbor in Harwich, where commercial fishing boats, rescue vessels, and 150 other boats depend on the annual dredging of the short channel that connects the relatively small harbor with open water. Harwich Harbor Master John Rendon said that without support from the state, it would be difficult to keep the channels open. And it's not just commercial fishermen who stand to benefit. A survey of business owners surrounding six harbors in four towns found harbors had a huge economic impact on the region. A 2020 survey by the Cape Cod Commission found employee compensation from the top ten industries surrounding Provincetown Harbor, Sasuit Harbor in East Dennis, Stage Harbor and Aunt Lydia's Cove in Chatham, and Great Harbor and Inner Harbor in Falmouth, was close to $257 million. The study has been used to justify the need for dredging and capital improvement funding. East Ham and Orleans received $1.3 million to dredge Rock Harbor Channel. The harbor hosts two public boat ramps, about 100 dockage slips, 
and one of the largest sport fishing fleets in Massachusetts. The harbor's offloading infrastructure serves about 30 commercial fishing vessels. In Wellfleet, a $2.5 million grant will be used to dredge 100,000 cubic yards of material from the south anchorage in Wellfleet Harbor. Dredging will restore all tide access to the area for up to 315 commercial and recreational vessels and improve conditions for shellfish propagation. Wellfleet was the second most productive shellfishing port in the state in 2021. It supports 90 shellfish growers and brings in an estimated $8 million in commercial landings. The East Ham Select Board and Town Administrator Jackie Beebe are demanding that the National Park Service allow East Ham residents full access to the parking lot at Nauset Light Beach accusing the park of violating an agreement with the town over use of the lot. BB and board chair Art Otterino said they would be sending a letter to National Seashore Superintendent Brian Carlstrom this week, following more than 50 reports that East Ham residents had been denied access to the lot. The letter demands that Carlstrom resolve the issue within a week. The parking lots at Nauset Light and Coast Guard Beach, the other Park Service-managed beach in East Ham, are divided into two parts. One-third of the spaces are reserved for East Ham taxpayers, and the other two-thirds are designated for visitors with Park Service passes. Normally, select board members said, the NPS portions of the lot are fuller, while there tends to be space in the areas reserved for East Ham locals. But over the last month, the town has received dozens of reports of East Ham residents being denied access to free parking in the NPS portion of the Nauset Light Beach parking lot when the East Ham section has been full. The letter argues that the Park Service's refusal to accept East Ham taxpayer stickers violates a 2022 agreement setting terms for parking at the two beaches. It states that the NPS must continue to maintain and provide taxpayer parking spaces at NPS-managed lots to honor current-year taxpayer stickers and to allow taxpayers to park anywhere in NPS-managed lots. The letter also says NPS ignores the terms of a 1965 deed conveying the beaches from East Ham to the Park Service on the condition that East Ham taxpayers reserve the right to use the beach and the adjacent parking area without charge. National Seashore Deputy Superintendent Leslie Reynolds on Monday defended the Park Service's interpretation of the 1965 deed and the 2022 agreement, saying that East Ham residents were not entitled to park in non-East Ham spaces without paying. Reynolds maintained that the terms of the deed were being honored. The letter to the Park Service makes no mention of legal action, but during a July 24th meeting, the select board hinted that such a move might be on the table if NPS refuses to change its position. During the July 24th meeting, Beebe said she'd spoken to Carlstrom, who she said defended the Park Service's actions out of fairness concerns for non-resident beach visitors. She said Carlstrom wanted to amend the agreement, and clarify the Park Service's interpretation, but town officials said they were uninterested in renegotiating the five-year agreement, noting that the negotiations for the 2022 agreement had been protracted. 
Those negotiations largely concerned the loss of parking space at Nauset Light Beach due to erosion, which Reynolds said was ongoing. She said the Park Service was engaged in long-term planning to establish off-site parking for the beach. This is the second time in the past few months that the Park Service has been accused of failing to uphold its side of an agreement with Outer Cape Towns. In May, the Park Service issued a request for proposals to lease eight historic dune shacks in Provincetown and Truro that appeared to ignore a 2012 agreement about how the properties could be leased, prompting objections from select boards in both towns. A spot on the Wellfleet Select Board opened up when Kathleen Bacon announced her resignation. She'll step down after a special election on September 27th. The eight months remaining in her term will end in May of 2024. Those looking for a short stint in town government may toss their hats in the ring by contacting town clerk Jennifer Conjol at Town Hall or emailing clerk at wellfleet-ma.gov for nomination papers. The deadline for obtaining nomination papers is August 7th. They must be returned by the end of business on August 9th. Residents who are not registered to vote must register by Friday, September 15th to be eligible to participate in the September 27th election. Voters at the Wellfleet Special Town Meeting on Monday, September 18th will decide whether to add the new position of a town planner to the roster at Town Hall. Wellfleet is one of the only Cape communities without a town planner. According to a draft of the town meeting warrant, voters will be asked to approve a Proposition 2.5 override to fund the new position. The town planner would support the Building Commissioner and Zoning Board of Appeals in zoning enforcement, as well as assist in developing bylaws and supporting housing initiatives and programs. Planning currently falls on the desk of the Assistant Town Administrator, a position being filled on an interim basis after Rebecca Ruffley resigned at the end of June. According to Select Board member Ryan Curley, the town planner would help perform the duties that might have been assigned to a housing coordinator, but that job was defeated at May's annual town election by 17 votes. The town planner position will require a two-thirds majority at town meeting, and a majority vote at the special town election on September 27th. This summer, Cirque by the Sea's latest production is entertaining all ages in Wellfleet, rather than at the troupe's usual home at North Truro's Highland Center in the Cape Cod National Seashore. With their tent displaced by demolition work on decrepit buildings from the North Truro Air Force Base, Performers from Payomet Performing Arts Center's Circus needed a new location. A welcome invitation came from Wellfleet Harbor Actors Theater Executive Director Christopher Ostrom to work together on family programming. In what Circus Program Director Teddy Ment calls a dream come true, the troupe now has an 80 by 50 foot tent alongside the main theater, taking the place of the usual what-for-kids shows there. That's the hub for weekday circus skills youth camps, 
Then three evenings a week, four professional actors perform Roots, a farm-to-circus show. The circus relocation is part of a summer schedule that also includes Watts' production of The Pickleball Wars, a new play by Payomet Executive Director Kevin Rice, who was also a co-founder of Watt in 1985. Pickleball Wars will run from August 11th to September 9th on the indoor stage. Roots is also theatrical, with performers offering broad comedy, slapstick, and rousing dances that keep youngsters' attention while teaching them about sustainable farming. You can see Payomat Cirque by the Sea's Roots, a farm-to-circus show, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays through September 1st at 6 p.m. at What for Kids stage at the Wellfleet Harbor Actors Theater on Route 6. You can find out more about this circus at payomet.org, and you can find out everything about Watt Theater at their website, what.org. For Outer Cape News, my name is Matthew Dunn. This is meteorologist Will David with your weekly weather watch and temperature trend for the Outer Cape. Even though we're seeing less rainfall than we did earlier in the summer, the overall pattern has been remarkably persistent now for several months. This afternoon is a reminder of that pattern as another potent upper-level trough and surface cold front approach the Outer Cape. A breezy and humid southerly airflow will bring clouds, and increasing chances for showers and thunderstorms, especially from this evening through early Saturday. Now, while I'm not expecting any severe weather, the atmosphere is loaded with moisture and the potential is there for heavy rainfall and localized flooding. The front should cross the area during the day Saturday. This will allow slightly drier air to move in along with afternoon sunshine. The humidity will fall to even more comfortable levels during the day Sunday. That's my pick of the weekend. Pleasant weather will linger through Monday, but yet another upper-level trough will once again bring showers and thunderstorms back to the region on Tuesday. Wednesday and Thursday look to be mostly sunny, warm, and humid before a third front produces showers and thunderstorms on Friday, perhaps lingering into next weekend. Now, as we head into the middle of the month, there are finally signs of the upper-level trough retrograding westward, allowing warmer and more humid air to move into New England and across the Outer Cape with above-average temperatures and rainfall. By the way, this forecast long-term pattern is not what you want if and when the tropics begin to percolate. Elsewhere across the nation, after a record-shattering July, the intense and life-threatening heat is somewhat suppressed this week, but will still persist across the central and southern plains and western Gulf Coast, with heat indices of 115 or higher this weekend and early next week. The monsoon season has kicked off across the desert southwest, with less heat and more beneficial showers and thunderstorms. On the northern edge of this heat dome, though, numerous disturbances aided by a very strong August jet stream are triggering numerous showers and thunderstorms from the northern plains through the southeast. 
These disturbances are bringing periods of severe weather and life-threatening flash floods. And finally, more on the remarkable month of July. July 2023 was the hottest month ever on record with over 8,000 records broken or shattered. Severe weather and flash flooding were also records. Kentucky reported its greatest 24-hour July rainfall with nearly a foot of rain, and the National Weather Service offices issued seven separate flash flood emergencies from New England to the Gulf Coast. In addition, a record number of severe weather watches were issued during the month of July, and it will certainly be remembered for its extreme and unprecedented weather and for yet another multi-billion dollar weather disaster in the United States. Now my exclusive WOMR weekend weather forecast for the Outer Cape. This afternoon, partly to mostly cloudy, breezy, and humid with a slight chance of showers. Highs around 79. Tonight, mostly cloudy and humid with showers and thunderstorms likely. Heavy rainfall is possible. Lows around 70. Saturday, breezy and humid with a good chance of morning showers, then becoming partly sunny during the afternoon. Highs near 80. Sunday, mostly sunny and warm, but not as humid. Highs around 82. As always, stay safe and informed by keeping an eye to the sky and an ear to the radio. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I'm Weather Will. August on Cape Cod is all about cars. But I'm not only talking about traffic. I'm talking about car watching, car envy, car bragging, or whatever your reaction to the long parade of luxury vehicles, vehicles that clearly cost more money than you made last year and that fill up our parking lots and clog our streets every summer. I'm extra sensitive this year for two reasons. One, my office shares a parking lot with the Outer Cape's most popular restaurant. And two, I think I need a new car. On any summer day after the 4th, the view from my office window resembles a pre-owned car lot on Route 1, except that on August 1st, it turns into a luxury car dealership packed with BMWs, Porsches, Jaguars, Lexus, and it's not at all uncommon to see a Mercedes Maybach or a Bugatti or even a Ferrari. The preferred vehicles of the affluent change over time. Some years ago, their go-to car seemed to be the Range Rover. There were processions of them barely able to squeeze through Commercial Street, all tricked out for safaris with roof racks and grill guards, presumably in case Route 6 was blocked and they had to make their way back to West Hartford via sandy terrain. These days, I see a lot of Tesla Model X plaids, signaling that they may own more houses, fly on more exotic vacations, have more stock in polluting industries, but that they care more about the environment. When I was growing up, I was obsessed with cars, in part because they were one of the few interests I could share with my father, either identifying car brands as they sped by us on family trips, or soothing his jealousy when our next-door neighbor bought a brand new Cadillac. 
long after I moved away from home and we had nothing to talk about, my father began every awkward telephone call with the same question. How's your car? Nothing makes me want a new car more than trying to explain to my mechanic what's wrong with my old one, especially when whatever is wrong doesn't happen whenever he gets behind the wheel. Don't you hear that wumpa, 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 I ask him. When he shakes his head no, I keep trying. What about thop, 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 thop? Can you hear that? Thop, 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 thop. Now, I don't want a fancy car. Sure, I love the endorphin rush of that new car smell and the glow of the spotless interior. But whenever I get a new car, I'm so afraid of getting my first dent that for months I drive so carefully it's as if I'm sitting next to a driving instructor. Electric has to be the way to go, right? I mean, how could I even consider an internal combustion engine when just this past month we saw the hottest temperatures on record? But then I read about the environmental impact of mining the minerals used in EV batteries, and I heard about the guy who was shot dead at an EV charging station. Don't believe me? Check out the YouTube. This stuff is real, people. It's called Charge Rage. EV drivers are going ballistic, banging on each other's cars, hurling insults, jumping ahead of each other in line, not to mention fighting off the anger of regular car owners, furious about losing precious street parking spots to a line of charging stations. Then there's leasing versus buying a car outright, and online buying versus dealerships. And what if the car was underwater? Just this past month, there were flash floods in Kentucky, New York, Vermont, and Pennsylvania. According to Carfax, about 400,000 waterlogged cars were repaired and resold just last year. It used to be that saving up enough money was all I had to do to buy a new car. Now it's time that I don't have, research that I don't want to do, endless online scrolling, and way too many choices. I think it's just easier to stick with the wumpa, wumpa, wumpa for a while. All of which is to say, if you see some curly-haired old guy out on the road thumbing a ride, consider giving him a lift. It may be me. I'm Ira Wood, and that's my opinion. And that does it for this week's edition of Outer Cape News. Thanks go to the Provincetown Independent, the Provincetown Banner, the Cape Codder, the Cape Cod Chronicle, and the Cape Cod Times. Thanks also to Beth Dunn, Will David, and Ira Wood for their contributions to the program. And thanks to Henry and Jane Fisher and Jacob Greenberg for being sustaining members of Outer Cape News. And now stay tuned for Friday Afternoon Jazz with Joel Shaw on listener-supported Community Radio, WOMR. Yo, 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 y